0: uh you are beautiful you are amazing you are awesome you are glorious you are lord who you are what you've done what you're doing is just it it thrills my heart i can't help but sing your praise And Lord, it's even a cherry on top, Lord, it's just now we get to to open up your word and learn from it. And so I asked, uh, above all, you would be glorified. I ask that your Holy Spirit would open up our ears, open up my mouth to say only what you want me to say. And uh, Lord, that we would be changed by your word. We wouldn't just gain head knowledge, we would gain knowledge that we can apply to our life, that we can trust in, believe in, and live out. We need your help, Lord. We we come with distractions. We come with uh, just busy minds, confused minds, stressed out minds. And we ask that you just uh, help us to focus. May we uh, r- remove all of our cares onto your shoulders because you're strong enough to bear the weight of all of our burdens so we can just focus in on you we again thank you for this beautiful day this time this opportunity in jesus name we pray amen well if you have your bibles go ahead and open them up to the book of jonah have try have trouble looking for it it is a tiny book in between two other tiny books and so i encourage you to look in the table of contents there is no shame in looking in the table of contents, as I said, you will not find a Bible that has how dare you write on the table of contents, or you should be ashamed of yourself. If you have a Bible like that, maybe you get a, should get a new Bible, because there is no shame in that, and you, it's just a way to find out where books of the Bible are. And encouragement as you continue to study the Word, and it continues to be a a part of your your life and your mind and your heart the more it's it'll be easier to find those books but anyways we're in the book of Jonah very interesting book uh very interesting the fact of how it's written it's almost like a satire it repeats certain words certain phrases It, it, it it leads us to one way, one direction. It surprises us. It brings up a lot of irony, and uh, it, it's, it's kind of centered around a guy named Jonah. Uh, Jonah was a, a prophet of the Lord in, in 2 Kings chapter 14. He's referred to the servant of God, and that's what prophets were. They were servants of God. They would receive a word from the Lord, and then proclaim that word of the Lord to whoever God wanted them to proclaim it and uh, Jonah uh, it says in chapter 1 verse 1 the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai now again that's not surprising why because Jonah's a prophet that's what happens they receive a word from the Lord there we go the, the, the command is, arise and go to Nineveh, the great city. Nineveh was a, a large city. Uh, it, it not only had a, a, an outer wall, it had an inner wall that was just more, even more magnificent than even the outer wall. It was huge. And even around the, the main city, there were all these little villages and towns. And so it was very, very expansive. It was also a very significant uh, city for uh, the uh, empire of Assyria. Eventually, it, Nineveh became the capital city uh, for that empire. So he goes, go to that city, the great city, and he says, I want you to cry out against it. Why? He says, for their wickedness has come up before me. Literally in the Hebrew, it's like the stench of their wickedness has reached my nose. They stink, and I want you to go and deliver this message. And so it sets us up in verse 3 that Jonah arose. So it's like he's, okay, he's got, you know, God told Jonah to arise. Okay, Jonah is arising. And so it's leading us to think, okay, he's going to go uh, uh, obey the Lord because that's what prophets do. They receive a word from the Lord. They're going to go proclaim the word of the Lord. Instead, it says, Jonah rose up to flee, literally bolt, to run away to Tarshish. What God was telling him to go, you know, the, the city of Nineveh was about 500 miles away from where Jonah was uh, ministering. So that would have taken a couple of months to go there. Instead, he's going to go the opposite direction, about close to 3,000 miles away, all the way to Tarshish, which is probably in, in Spain is what we think so all the way we call it Timbuktu all the way in Timbuktu out in the middle of nowhere as far away as he can he flees to Tarshish and the Bible says from the presence of the Lord literally from the face of the Lord it's in, in, the, it's in the face of, in front of the Lord in the, uh, the presence of the Lord where we serve the Lord it's in the presence of the Lord where we worship the Lord it's, the, it's in the presence of the Lord where we receive the favor of the Lord and Jonah's saying I'm out of here I don't, I don't, I, I'm okay to obey you Lord when it's something I want to do but this is not something thing I want to do so he books it he goes uh, to Tarshish he jumps on a boat and even though he's running from God God's pursuing him God pursues him he sends a storm and that storm is pretty significant all the the crew is is freaking out they don't know what to do eventually it's found out that Jonah is the responsible He's the one fleeing from the Lord and the storm is a a result of his disobedience. And so Jonah basically says, just chuck me into the ocean. Let me die. It's like Jonah still doesn't get it. He, he still doesn't want to obey God. He's like, I'd rather die than do what God wants me to do. So just chuck me into the ocean. Let me go. So he eventually gets chucked into the ocean, and we don't really know how long he's uh, floating there, but eventually he starts sinking and drowning, and he, Jonah realizes this is not how I want to go. And so he calls out to God and God sends a fish, a large fish um, to swallow up Jonah, to rescue him. And that's what we looked at at chapter two is how Jonah was praying and God heard him and responded to him. And we're kind of leaving us as the audience reading this saying, why God? Why? Because I mean, Jonah's pathetic. I mean, Jonah has run away from you. He's, he's, he's disobeyed you and you're, you're saving him. I mean, we would expect. Okay, Jonah, this is this is what your, your your decisions have led you to to die in this way. So you get your comeuppance. Instead, God uh, intervenes and saves Jonah. And eventually, he ha- orders the, the the fish to vomit Jonah out onto dry land. I've heard it said the what's worse than vomiting is being vomited out. I guess so. The, I, that's I never have that's never happened to me, but I can only imagine how nasty that was. And then we get to chapter three. And, and here we just see a beautiful display of God's grace and kindness and mercy, just who God is. And verse one, it says, now the word of the Lord, you're gonna, it's, it's almost word for word. It's a little bit changed, but it's almost exact same statement that we see uh, in chapter one. It's almost like it's deja vu here. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. That word there can mean second time. It could mean another time or it could mean again. So this is, again, hard to swallow for us as the audience because we're reading about Jonah and thinking, man, Jonah really screwed up. He made a lot of horrible mistakes and he still hasn't really learned a lot. I mean, but God saved him from the storm. He he saved him from drowning. And now God's coming to Jonah and says, let's try this again. Let's try this again. Now, while the story of Jonah centers around Jonah, it's ultimately not about Jonah. It's ultimately focused around God, who God is, what he's about, and what he does. And what we see in this amazing little book is that God is the God who pursues us. God is the God who loves us. God is the God who shows kindness and mercy and grace. And that's what we see here in Jonah. I mean, Jonah! The last guy you would think who should deserve a second chance and God's like, let's, let's do this again. Now, some of you understand that. Some of you, your, your testimonies, you can look back at your testimonies and you've seen God come to you again and again and again. Prior to Christ, you're, you know, you, God came to you, you know, uh, spoke either when you were in church, you heard the gospel, gospel message, but you decided, no, I don't want that. And you continue living your life and then God comes to you again. Maybe he sends friends, family, coworkers into your life and to proclaim the gospel again. And you're just like, no, no, I don't want to hear blah, 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 blah. You keep on going. God comes to you again through another circumstance to remind you that you need a, your sinner who needs a Savior. And you reject it. I'm, I don't want anything to do with Jesus or the church. I just want to keep on living my life. And you keep on going. And God's coming after you again and again and again. Finally, you're like, okay, I give up. I, I, I know I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And Jesus, I want you to be my savior and I want you to be my Lord. And you look back at your life and you're saying, Jesus, how could you do this? How could you pursue me like that? How could you come to me again and again and again? I thought I was just a, a lost cause, hopeless. But God comes again. And again, and again, and again. Even as we're followers of Christ, sometimes we fall into old bad habits. Sometimes we fall into sinful patterns. Sometimes we we walk by the flesh instead of walking by the spirit. And so we mess up, we fail, and we fall on the ground. We're thinking, oh man, that's it. I'm, I'm done. God comes again. Let's try this again. A second time, a third time, a fourth time, 75th time, 100th. <laughs> you know, you could, God just keeps coming again, and again, and again. Like, I don't, I don't get that. I don't, why? Well, that's grace. That's mercy. Grace is receiving something that you don't deserve, something that you don't earn. It's receiving kindness and favor from God. We could never earn, on, earn that. Mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. We deserve to be punished. We deserve to be benched, you know, and God used someone else in his kingdom. But no, God gives us mercy. He comes to us again and again and again. Let's try this again. Let's try this again. Another example of, of, of just who God is, is he's found in the life of Peter. The disciple turned apostle, Peter. I mean, he, stood, he, he was with Jesus personally, living with him for three and a half years, hearing all the teachings about the kingdom. But gosh, Peter was foolish. And a lot of times he stuck his foot in his mouth. People go like, oh, I know how that feels. Again, again, sticking his foot in his mouth. One time, Jesus actually looked at Peter and said, "Get behind me, Satan." Ooh, that wasn't even the worst of it. When Jesus was on trial and he was being beaten and, and 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 false accusations were being brought upon him, which would eventually lead to his death. When Jesus needed Peter, Peter ran away as a coward, and Peter denied Jesus not just once, but how many times? Three times. And yet, what do we see? Jesus coming back to Peter. I mean, he didn't have to. Jesus could have said, you know what, Peter? You were going to be a rock that I was going to use to, to start this thing, this, this, this church. But you know what? I'm going to choose someone else. You're, you're benched now for the remainder of the time. You've, you've crossed the line. That's it. No more second chances. I'm going to choose maybe John. You know, John's been with me for the very end. I mean, he was at the foot of the cross with my mother. He deserves it. I'm going to give it to him. But instead... Jesus goes to Peter and says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And then Peter just gets it. Oh, I get it. And Peter's the recipient of that grace, of that mercy, of that kindness, and just like, ah, I don't deserve it. Yeah, I know, Peter, you don't. That's why it's grace. That's why it's mercy. But that's who God is. He comes to us again and again and again. How sad for us. That's, That's the heart of God. How many of us don't extend that same heart to others? Ooh, I heard that. Ooh, now it just got real, right? Before I was like not in your space. Now I'm like right up in your space. It's actually not me. It's the Holy Spirit. So you can't blame me. I'm just the the messenger. I don't, I just deliver the mail. I don't write it. But how many, (laughs) how many of us don't extend that same grace and mercy to other people? You've crossed me. That was the last time. You are done. And yet, God comes to you and says, let's go again. Let's go again. Yeah, that's, really got to think through that. That's the father heart of God to come to us a second time, a second time. When kids scream like that, going to them a second time. (laughs) Parents, you know what that means. You don't just say, kids, you screamed the last time. You vomited on me the last time. You you know, pooed on my lap the last time. That's it. Change your own diapers. You don't do that. You go to them again and again and again. You bear with them because why? You love them. God loves us. And so he bears with us. He comes to us again and again. We are called to follow his lead and come go to people again and again and again. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh. Same command, two commands put together in Hebrew. So there's, there's an emphasis there. It's like literally go now. You know, don't, don't just diddly-daddly. Don't go when it's convenient. Go now to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim, announce, cry out to it, the proclamation, the message, which I'm going to tell you. Verse three, so Jonah arose. Now in the Hebrew, there's this little um Thing I don't even know what you call a little gesture, little marking, um, that indicates a pause, like a dramatic pause. Give, you know, just basically take a breath here. Jo- Jonah arose. It's giving the audience just enough time to catch their breath to anticipate Jonah's next action. Is Jonah going to obey? Is Jonah going to book it? So it's like okay, everyone's like leaning forward. What's going to happen? Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So in chapter 2 Jonah says what I have vowed I will I will finish. I will I will accomplish. I will make good on those vows. And then we see Jonah's doing that. He's now instead of running away from God, he's now running with God. So he travels to, to Nineveh which again over 5 500 miles away would have taken him a few months. Uh, to get there, so this is not an easy trip. This is not just oh, I'll be there today and and I'll be done. No, it's, it's, he's going to have to be dedicated to to reaching his destination. It says now, Nineveh was exceedingly was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. And again, Nineveh was huge. You know, it was it, not only a massive a city, a major portion of the city, walled city, but it also had little towns and villages surrounding it, um, which just would have been expansive so he 's just traveling around delivering a message yeah of course it would take you a number of days to actually go through it but what's interesting is <clears throat> oops that hurt yeah sorry <clears throat> that was gonna be like a sneeze and a cough and i was like okay what's coming out um but anyways uh was it, it, what the, the the in the hebrew it says uh well bleh, let me get back Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. In the Hebrew, it literally reads, Nineveh was a great city to God. Nineveh was a great city to God. Now there's some scholars who, de- who uh, debate as far as what this actually means. Some see it as an idiom to mean like, again, what NASB takes it, an, an exceedingly great city. But we understand this is that God cares for this great city. God cares for this great city. Now, now Nineveh again was a wicked city, was a wicked city, but God cared for this city. Why did God care for this great city? Well, because they had people in it, because it had a great number of people in it, and God loves those people. Bible makes it clear, very over and over. I do not rejoice in the death of a wicked. I, his desire is that none should perish, but all come to the saving knowledge of Christ. That's his desire so he cares about Nineveh. He cares about the people, which really, this should change our heart when it comes to people. Especially when you, when you move into a city like Lapine or another small city, rural city, the, the, I've noticed the, the, the mentality is almost like, get me out of the city. I want to get away from the people. I want no people. In fact, if I had my way, I'd be on a mountain somewhere by myself with my Bible in my lap and my guitar, just singing praises to the Lord. That would be heaven to me. That's not the father heart of God. To be away from people. No, God loves people. It says, for God so loved the world that he sent his son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves people. And you say, well, I'm an introvert. Well, I'm an introvert too, but that doesn't get, to, that doesn't, we don't get off scot-free. Oh, because you're an introvert. Okay, that's fine. No, we're called by Jesus. Jesus said, go throughout all the world, the nations. And as you're, as you're living your life, make disciples. That's what we're called to do. God's like, you need to love people. Not only each other, we're supposed to love. Yeah, definitely. That's all over the place. We as a church have to love each other, bear with one another, but we're all supposed to love the world outside. We're supposed to love people, not try to hide from them, not try to run from them. Oh, because they're frustrating and they're, they just, oh, they annoy me. I get it. But you know what? God loves them. God sent Jesus to die for them. We need, need to change our heart towards people. Secondly, we also need to change our heart towards cities. Because the other thing I, I've noticed is very, kind of, very tragic, even when I go to Bend and other, other surrounding areas, is to hear other believers, especially, talk about places like Los Angeles and Seattle and Portland and Chicago. And they said, oh, Sodom and Gomorrah, God just send the fire, get them, wipe them off the face of the earth. And yet God saw this great city, this wicked city, Nineveh, and it was important to him. Why? Because there's people there. There's people who need to hear the gospel. There's people who need to hear the good news. And what's really, what's really interesting is when it comes to large cities, and they've done studies on this, culture is created in large cities. Lots of people, lots of things happening, and it literally just trickles out to everywhere else. You know, it goes everywhere else. It's almost like big cities are upstream, and everything they do comes down and trickles to all the rest of the cities, which is, makes sense why when you read the book of Acts, Paul, again and again, he rarely went to the rural parts of the Roman Empire. Instead, he went to the Ephesus. He went to uh, uh, Antioch. He went to the big cities. He went to leading cities of those provinces. Why? because he recognized those large cities influence all the rest. If he could just plant the seed in this important city with all the people coming and going, then that city would grow and spread throughout the rest of the, 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 the empire. And that's exactly what happened. God cares about the cities. We need to change our heart towards people. We need to change our heart towards the city. Now, a good check on your heart to see if you really have a heart for, for large cities and, and, and people is just put yourself in a scenario where you're asleep, you have a dream and God comes to you in the dream and says, I want you to pack all your bags and I want you to go to Chicago. If your knee jerk reaction is, Ugh, no, that's Jonah. That's not the father heart of God. Oh, you don't understand. Those big cities, they're liberals and there's evil people and trash and disgusting. God loves those cities. God may never call you to go to Portland or to Los Angeles or to Chicago or Washington, D.C., but doesn't mean that you can't be praying for them. Instead of hating those cities, instead of just despising those cities, pray for those cities. Lord, I pray that those, those, those leaders in those cities would come to know you and start making decisions based off of your word, off of your truth. That would impact all the others. It would just trickle down. That'd be amazing. Lord, I pray for the Christians because there are brothers and sisters in those cities. I pray that they would stay strong, that they would be faithful and that they would boldly proclaim your gospel and they would cause, they would make a big influence. We need to have a heart. You know, again, God has brought you here to Lapine. The reason why God has brought you here to Lapine is because he loves the people here in Lapine and he loves you. He wants the people in, in Lapine to experience uh, the hope, the joy of, of salvation. And he, also, he wants you to be a part of it. So God cares about people. He cares about the cities. So Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Verse four, then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. So like, again, he's, I got to hand it to Jonah. He's hes being pretty obedient right away. He's not just diddle-daddling. He's um, announcing the, the the message. So Jonah went out, got went through the city one day's walk and he cried out, he announced, he proclaimed. And he said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now in the Hebrew, there's like a, Uh, there's like an ending here. It's it's basically, it's saying like at the end of 40 days, Nineveh is going to be overthrown, which is a really interesting message because it could have just been, Nineveh, you're toast. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. That's a monopoly phrase, if anyone knows that. Otherwise, that just went over a lot of people's heads. No one likes monopoly. Okay, anyways. Aww. Um, yes, it could have been that way. It could have just, this is it. You're toast, you're gone. Look up in the sky. There comes the fire and the brimstone. Bye-bye. Instead, in 40 days, after 40 days, this, this city will be overthrown. Really interesting. It's like, God, why? Again, God is way more patient than we are. God's desire is that none should perish. And we just see that right here. I'm giving you 40 days, 40 days, 40. That's a long time, 40 days. Once that's done, it's done. But until that time, there's that hope. Well, that's amazing. Get, did God, did Nineveh deserve that? No. Nineveh was wicked, wicked, wicked. In fact, the, the book of Nahum describes Nineveh as a bloody city full of dead bodies. You know, it was known historically for sacrificing their children, stacking up the bones and the heads of all their their victims and brutalizing men, women, and children who were their prisoners. I mean, they were just wicked, wicked people. And yet God's coming to them. God's given them a chance. That's pretty cool. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Here's the response. Then the people believed in God. And that's some of the, the same phrase that you see when it says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. They believed God. They believed this word from the Lord, and it wasn't just simply lip service. Look what it says: and they believed God and they called a fast. They stopped eating. They 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 they, they refused to eat and instead, devote them t- themselves to to crying out to praying. And put on sackcloth. That that was a literally um, kind of the material that they used to, to make uh, sacks. Basically, it was kind of like this burlap clothing. Sometimes it was made out of goat's hair. Very uncomfortable. People who wore it, it was a symbol to show that they're mourning. Like just look how I, I this this uh, sackcloth represents how I'm mourning in my heart, how I feel in my heart. So they're not just simply saying, oh, well, we believe you, Lord. No, they're they're putting action to their belief. One uh, pastor many, many years ago, around the 1800s, says faith or belief and obedience are bound in the same bundle. He who obeys God trusts God, and he who trusts God obeys God. You can't have one with the other. That's why the book of James says faith without works is dead. It's not like your works obtain your salvation. No, 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 no. They they prove your salvation, they're the outflow of your salvation, because you're saved you now do these works and that's what we see in Nineveh, Nineveh, they believe God and they actually start to repent, somehow in the message they got, the idea that you know, God's going to overthrow us because of our wickedness, and now they're they're mourning. Look, verse six. It says, "When the word reached the king of Nineveh, the king. Think of Stalin. Think of Hitler. Think of Saddam Hussein or Osama bin Laden. And that's kind of what you're you're getting at here. The king of Nineveh. What did he do? He arose from his throne. The the, the, uh, uh, the throne is this, this you know a, a visual representation of power. He's getting off his throne. What does he do? He lays aside his robe. So, not only is he getting off of his throne, but he's taking off all of his royal garbs. And what does he do? He says, covered himself in sackcloth, so the same kind of clothing, and sat on the ashes. So, you couldn't get any more humble than this. That's crazy. He, the word of the Lord hit, hits him, and he's like okay this is this is horrible He himself is repenting here he he gets himself off this throne his his you know symbol of, of of authority takes off of his his robes again a visual representation of his authority and his power and his prestige he covers himself in sackcloth, sits in dirty ashes stuff that were used in in, in sacrifices left over in sacrifices or just even like a campfire just that chalky stuff sitting in it I think well how, how could this happen what what caused this kind of reaction to the people well Jonah simply proclaimed the word of the Lord and that was it and this is something we have to remind ourselves of: is that God's word Is more powerful than any king, more powerful than any city, any nation, or any army. God's word is powerful. When God's word is proclaimed, the Holy Spirit gets involved and does some incredible things. I mean, just look what he did. Jonah proclaims the word of the Lord, and the entire people of the city, even the king himself, are mourning and repenting. This is horrible. Lord, we don't want to be destroyed. We're sorry. The word of the Lord is powerful. In Hebrews chapter four, it says that the word, of, the, the word is living and it's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It, pieces, it pierces down to the division of soul, spirit, joint marrow, to the very center of us that we're all exposed before him. We don't simply read it. It reads us. It's powerful. The, the power it was, it was not in the messenger here, Jonah coming over. No, Jonah's pathetic. He's a pathetic prophet. The power wasn't in from the messenger. The power was from the message. It was the word of God. And we would do well to remember that. See, at Cascade Bible Church, our desire is not that you would just simply, you know, love the word. We want you to love the word. We want you to trust God's word. We want you to to believe God's word. We want you to, to study God's word. But we also want you to proclaim God's word. Why? Because it's powerful. It's powerful. Now we could think, well, there's nothing really I can do to make a big change in this world. Proclaim the word of the Lord. See what happens. Oh, well, there's really nothing that can happen in, in, you know, in, in, in Washington, D.C. Or at, the, or at the state capitol. There's nothing really that can change. Proclaim the word of the Lord. See what happens. Pro- proclaim the word of the Lord. Proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ that he's come to save Sinners. We need to proclaim the word of the Lord. Nineveh was a great city, a powerful city, an important city, but it was not powerful enough for God's word. The king was a mighty king, a, 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 a strong king, powerful king, but he wasn't powerful enough for the word of God. The word of God came, Holy Spirit worked and caused conviction, and now they're repenting. Look at verse 7. And he issued a proclamation. The word there for issued a proclamation literally means to herald, to exclaim, or I like another translation, to raise a battle cry. Like he's assembling the entire city saying, listen, it's really important, you guys. Here's what we need to do. Not as if the the, the 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 people are already doing some of this, and he said in Nineveh by the decree of the kings and his nobles. So just it, it wasn't just the king, but all the important people uh, in the high places there at, in, in Nineveh. Do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. So it's not enough just to, to fast and not you know eat. They're not even supposed to taste anything. You know, not even like oh I'm 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 fasting. I'm not eating, but I'm just going to get a you know, slice of apple, put it in my mouth, just taste it, and then that's it. Don't even do that. Don't even drink. Normally, when you were fasting, you could at least drink. But here's he's saying, no, don't even do that at all. And, and he says, and both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. In the uh, ancient Near East, the animals were really important. They're part of of your livelihood, part of your life. And and here, the, the king is like, we got to repent, but we're going to repent. We're going to go varsity here on this. We're not not just us going to repent and put on sackcloth. We're going to invite even the the animals to join in. And they're not going to eat. They're not going to drink. They're not going to taste anything. So you can think how hard that would have been putting an animal in an area where they can't even eat or drink anything you know i, I don't know how that worked but it's like that's what we're gonna do i remember going to a, a farm it was a really big big farm they had strawberries and all this stuff and the outside cattle like way out in the hills and we were there and, and the lady was telling telling us how they you know grow the strawberries and we heard this like noise like from coming out from the, the hills I'm like what is that sound like a monster to us kids is oh yeah those th- that's the the animals they're they're hungry I'm like where are they oh they're over the hill you can hear them all the way over here yeah you could imagine all these animals just crying out screaming on top of that you have other people screaming and calling an out, mourning, repenting. He says, both man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let men call on God earnestly. Literally call on God with all of your might. And then he says this, and that each, so his, his, his language here, originally is kind of like, okay, I'm addressing the entire city, but now he's in, uh, narrowing it down to the individual. Now each of you, individuals, May turn, may may turn back from his wicked way, from living wickedly, and from the violence which is in his hands. And in other words, you know, stop lying, stop cheating, stop fornicating, stop, you know, beating people, stop, uh, uh, you know, uh, killing people. Just stop those things. Turn away from those things. Verse nine. Who knows? Who could who could understand? Who could know? God may turn. And relent. Now, that word sometimes people translate as, as uh, to change his mind, but really it's, it's the idea of to be led to compassion. Maybe God will turn back and be, tur- and be pu- uh, 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 moved by compassion and withdraw his burning anger. In the Hebrew, it's literally your his burning nostrils. Have you ever seen cartoons where a guy is really angry and, and there's like the steam comes out of the nose? That's what I kind of think of, you know, just his burning nostrils. He will withdraw his burning nostrils so that we would not perish, and that we would not be destroyed, we would not be annihilated. Verse 10. God, this is just so amazing, so amazing. Look what it says here. When God saw their deeds, saw what they did, what what did they do? That they turned from their wicked ways. and, And there's an emphasis here in the Hebrew. It's literally that they indeed turned from their wicked ways. They stopped living in wickedness. They repented. They recognized they were wrong. They changed the way they lived. It says then god relented god was moved to compassion concerning the calamity the disaster which he had declared he would bring upon them and he did not do it that's incredible that's amazing we're thinking Nineveh enemy of god's people enemy to a whole bunch of other people wicked evil Despicable, not deserving of anything, and God relents. Now, at this point, it's for some it's 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 easy for people to well not easy but some people may come to the conclusion that as a result of it, um, what Nineveh did, the the, the you know the, the fasting, wearing sackcloth, being in ashes, all of that ultimately is what made. Is what saved him basically? Is what made God change His mind? what made God to do that? No. The reality is, that was all God. That was God's decision. That was God's decision to be moved with compassion and stop what He was going to do. It had nothing to do with what Nineveh did. I mean, did did Nineveh, did did God recognize what Nineveh did? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure. But was that the reason? No. The real reason is because He made the decision to show mercy and grace. To Nineveh. Again, it's the same thing with us, you guys. It's not, nothing we can there is nothing we can do to earn God's favor. There is nothing we can do to, to receive God's blessing, grace in our life. That's why it's grace. It's unmerited, it's undeserved. God saw what they did. He saw their heart. He, he, he recognized, no doubt, that they were serious, that they repented of their wicked ways. But ultimately it was his decision and he made the decision to give them mercy, to show kindness, to show grace in their life. It was incredible. Again, just super incredible. If you ever think that, you know, someone is beyond hope, you look at someone, oh, they're beyond hope. They're they're just so in darkness. Maybe even some you here, maybe those watching online feel that way. Oh, I'm just so in darkness. There's no hope for me. There's, there's always hope. You are never, be, never beyond God's grace, God's mercy, God's kindness in your life. And when we think about our country, our government, and we can say, oh, it's just getting worse. There is no hope. There is absolutely hope. There's absolutely hope. Think of the most wicked city you could ever think of. And that was Nineveh. And look what happened. And all it was, was a pathetic prophet proclaiming the word of God and God doing the rest. See, that's the amazing thing about God. That's, again, this this story is not about Jonah, ultimately. It's about God. Who God is. God's the one who pursues. God's the one who comes again and again. God's the one who has love and kindness and shows mercy and grace. Go with me to Matthew the book of Matthew, chapter 12. So the book of Matthew, chapter 12, and we're going to uh, start at verse 38. So Matthew, chapter 12, verse 38. says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees, these were the religious leaders of the day, said to him, said to Jesus, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. We want this miraculous thing to happen that'll validate your position, that will will convince us that you are who you say you are. We want a sign. But he, Jesus answered to them, an evil and an adulterous generation craves for a sign and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 41, the men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus is saying is like, listen, the people in Nineveh, they didn't have all the scriptures that you have. You know, they were probably aware of stories of the flood and of maybe, you know, at the, the Moses in Egypt. They probably were aware of those things, but they, it wasn't a part of their life. They didn't live by them. They didn't study it. They didn't have the law. They didn't really have a lot of things, but the word of the Lord came to them. The Holy Spirit worked and they repented. And Jesus is saying, you have way more than, than the people in Nineveh have and you're not repenting. He says, but someone better than Jonah is here. And that's what I I love that phrase. Someone uh, someone greater than Jonah is here. Because when you think about it, Jonah disobeyed God, but Jesus throughout his life was constantly being faithful to his father, his heavenly father. And in Philippians chapter two, he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jonah disobeyed, Jesus obeyed his father. Jonah is revealed as this pathetic prophet, but Jesus is revealed as the king of kings and Lord of lords. Jonah spent three days in the belly of a fish and was eventually vomited out. Jesus spent three days, his dead body spent three days in the grave and then resurrected. Jonah proclaimed the word of the Lord, but Jesus came as the eternal word of the Lord. Jesus is greater than Jonah. That's so amazing, you guys. So here, if you don't know Jesus, meaning you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I encourage you, now's the day to do it. Now's the day to just finally recognize you're a sinner, you need a savior, and guess what? Jesus is the greatest savior you'll ever have. You need Jesus. He'll give you uh, peace, he'll give you hope, he'll, he'll, he's gonna save you, obviously, from the coming judgment, but he also gives you the Holy spirit to be with you every step of the way until you finally get to be with him. If you are a follower of Jesus, I mean, my goodness, this is worth celebrating. Amen. This is not something just to bottle up and just keep it to yourself and just, Oh, well, it's, it's my own personal faith and it's my own personal hope and everything. No, this should well up inside of you. Like I can't shut up about Jesus. I can't shut up about how amazing Jesus is, how, ama- how everyone needs to have salvation and how everyone needs to receive hope and peace. I mean, this should always, we should just, my goodness, we should be like Jonah. I don't want to do that. I don't like people. I don't like cities. No, my goodness, we have something so amazing. How can we not proclaim it and live for him? See, with, with, with Nineveh, this is great. This is amazing. Unfortunately, their, their repentance doesn't last because about 150 years after this moment, they fall back into their same patterns, whether the parents taught their children, discipled them into the ways of, of Yahweh, I, we don't know. But eventually they fell into their wicked ways again and they were eventually destroyed. They did receive jo- uh, a judgment. Goodness, you see the mercy and kind, kindness and grace and patience that God gave them. God gives to us, God giving to others. This is amazing. Amazing truth, you guys. A lot of stuff to, to nibble on, and no doubt you're going to, I pray that you're going to nibble on this the rest of the week. Just remember if you are a follower of Jesus, you have an amazing treasure. You have an amazing Savior. Don't just keep it to yourself share it with someone else. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I want to thank you again for your word. I want to thank you um, for your love, your great love, that you would love this world so much that you sent Jesus into this world to live and die and to offer salvation, eternal life so we'd not perish. That's just so amazing. We don't deserve it. We don't, there's nothing in us, Lord, that uh, is worthy of this gift. And yet you still give it freely. Lord, there may be individuals here in this room who've never really, really honestly placed their faith in you. I pray that they would recognize how good of a God and savior you are. But you are the God of second chances and third chances and 150th chances. You're a God of kindness and grace and mercy if they could just simply turn to you right now and you will forgive them of their sins, past, present, and future. Give them the Holy Spirit. Make them part of this amazing family, part of your eternal kingdom. Lord, for the rest of us who have made a decision to follow Jesus, may we recognize the treasure of Jesus. May we recognize that this world needs to hear the good news of Jesus that we are not to bottle it up. We're to proclaim it. Lord, that we are to see people not as lost causes, but as people that you love. Cities that are not just deserving of of fire and brimstone, Lord, but cities filled with individuals who need to hear the gospel. Lord, change our hearts. Forgive us for our complacency. Forgive us for our apathy. May you uh, renew in us the, the the joy in our of our salvation, and be and let that inspire us to proclaim to the world. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. We're gonna.